Hello everyone and welcome to 1v1 with Boss Rush Games. I'm your host, Celeste Roberts. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Nathan Hale and Caleb Webb from Meetings on the Mound, a baseball podcast. Good afternoon, guys. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having us on. I'm excited. I, I know how passionate you guys are about baseball, and I love seeing people take that passion to the next level and create things to talk about. Yeah, I. Um, it was kind of weird how the, how the podcast uh, kind of came about. Um, Caleb and I, Caleb um, is on uh, my coaching staff. We're both high school coaches, and uh, we just enjoy talking about baseball. And, uh, you know, every time we would see each other, we would end up talking, you know, in these long conversations about just different things. And um, eventually it got to the point where our wives were kind of like, let's go, you know, we need to, <laughs> to go do something. So, you know, one day we were like, you know, let's just, let's do a podcast and then we'll have an excuse to just get together and talk about baseball. And that's kind of the the birth of the podcast and then it really has gone places that i don't think either of us saw happening at the beginning um and it's been a, it's been a fun fun ride yeah we've we've been able to talk to some really cool people and and uh, some really cool organizations uh a couple of our favorites the negro league baseball museum in kansas city was a awesome interview we we uh were able to speak with bob kendrick twice who's the the president of that organization um the myrtle beach pelicans that was a fun interview. We were on location with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. They invited us to uh, to their ballpark and gave us a tour and all that. So that was that was really cool. But um, yeah, uh, we we never thought we'd be able to talk to some of the people that we've talked to or or met or um, made the connections that we've made. We figured we'd just get together and you know act like idiots and talk about a game that we love. And here it is a year later, and you know we're we're talking to some really awesome people. I know. It, I love seeing that because life is too short not to do things you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. We have obligations, we have responsibilities, you have things to do. And I think it's really important that people have hobbies, yeah. something that reminds them of what, what's the point of being alive if I'm not going to enjoy it? Right. Yeah. And what I love about it is it's a hobby, but it's also constructive in that it it allows other people to enjoy it as well. And it, it's an outlet that is, yes, it's for us. And, and honestly, you know, we've said from the beginning, if nobody listens, that's okay because we're just getting together for us. And nobody listens. <laughs> and oh, you know, that's, sometimes that feels like it's coming true. But in all reality, it, it's cool to see that there are other people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, I can't wait for you to put out a new episode or things like that. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher and you know, at first, like, I never told my kids that I was doing a podcast because as a high school teacher, you're, you know, you don't want to be the butt of all their jokes. So, you know, I never put anything out, but, Which you know, anyway. some of the, uh, some of the kids found it this last year and they were like, you know, Mr. Hale, that's a really good, like, you're really good at that. You, you know, w w and I've had some kids that like legitimately enjoy it and, and want, ask for new episodes and things like that. And, Do they um, say I'm good? No. Uh, or their parents, you know. Uh, we'll come out and, and ask things. So it's just been cool to see that it, it is an outlet for us and it's a hobby for us, but it's also really cool that it helps other people. It gives some other people content that they enjoy. Yep. So. I love that. And I love the camaraderie you two have where it's, it, you guys are serious about baseball, but not too serious. You, you yeah. have fun. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And, you know, we, we sometimes pretend like we like each other. And most of the time we hate each other. But, you know, that's the that's the life of a head coach, yeah. pitching coach, 
catcher's coach. We're kind of like brothers in, in, in some ways and, you know, kind of joke around. But in all reality, like, you know, um, Caleb's been there for me at, at kind of my lowest points. I've been there for him. Um, and, you know, we, we try and ultimately just, uh, you know, love each other and, and kind of model for our team kind of what it's like to have, you know, to be a friend and to be, you know, there for somebody. I mean, we, like, like you said, we, we joke around with each other and we, we give each other a hard time, but at the end of the day, I know he's got my back if, if there's anything that I need. And so, you know, modeling that for a team is, is, is big, but that kind of carries over to the podcast too, I think. It does. Yep. And I probably don't have to tell you guys this because you're coaches and you work with youth, but they're watching. They watch mm-hmm. everything. And oh, you absolutely. have children. They pick up on every little thing. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And it, it goes it kind of the way we carry ourselves, too. Um, we don't, like you said, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Baseball is sometimes, and we may get into this later in the interview, but, but, but I think sometimes baseball takes itself too seriously. And ultimately, it's a game, and it's meant to be fun. And, you know, like you said, life is too short to not have fun and not to do things you enjoy. So if you're going to do something, whether that's baseball or, or whatever, you need to have fun with it and, and enjoy it. And I think it's great that your students realize that you are doing this podcast because I just remember thinking the adults I admired the most were the ones who had lives outside of their jobs and families. Not that family is not important, but you have other aspects of your identity that you need Mm -hmm. to embrace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That whether that be, Hey, I I volunteer or I I have a podcast or I'm writing something, painting, whatever it may be. And that, I think that's a really good way to show your students and, and your team, Hey, your life's not over after you graduate high school, college, (laughs) you start working, you can still have fun out there. You need to have fun. Yeah, yep, absolutely. It rounds you off as a person. I, I see that in my students for sure, that they, they appreciate that. Well, I know you guys have kind of told us a little bit about yourselves, but you want to take like a deeper dive? Sure. Um, I'll go first, I guess. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I grew up uh, here in Huntington, West Virginia, and um, went away to college. Uh, my, honestly, um, I remember my senior year of high school, um, I was going to a school in Florida and my plan was to play baseball. And, uh, the lady who set up the classes for, um, the athletes called me, uh, during the, during the, uh, the summer and said, you know, what are you planning to major in? And I had no idea because I just wanted to go play baseball. So, um, I said, well, you know, I, I did well in history in school. I really, I was a terrible student. Um, it's kind of funny that I'm a teacher, teacher now because I was such a bad student. Um, and, but I was like, I like history. Do you have history education? And she said, well, we have social studies. Uh, so that, that was fine. So I kind of went ahead and did that. But then after I started taking education courses my freshman year, I realized that I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy being able to connect with kids. And I knew I wanted to be involved with baseball after college. And I knew that that wasn't going to be in a playing um, atmosphere. And so it was natural for suck. Yeah, I wasn't very good. <laughs> so it was kind of natural to take that next step into into coaching. And um, I ended up, long story short, I ended up getting injured and, and couldn't really play in college. But I was able to work with the coaching staff and kind of be a, a student coach and then was able to go from there um, and transferred back here to Huntington to Marshall University and uh, and finish up. And um, 
you know, from there, I was able to do some really cool things. I was able to go to the Dominican Republic for a little bit, um, coach and teach there for a year, come back here. I got married and, and started coaching and teaching actually in the school that I graduated from. So some of those teachers that saw me as a, as a poor student, you know, um, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, uh, now get to have me as a colleague. So that's been, um, interesting for them, I'm sure, um, to see that. But, um, I, the, the thing about that story that I think, you know, as I tell it, that means the most to me is that um, you can't give up on kids uh, because a lot of a lot of people probably should have given up on me because I was a I was not a good student. And um, and I had a lot going on in my life. Uh, my dad had passed away when I was younger and, you know, my mom was raising me as a single mom. But, um, you know, I just I wasn't focused on school and I wasn't a very good student, but I did have certain teachers and, and some of those teachers, that's why I went into history education, because some of those history teachers were the ones that really connected with me and reached out to me. And, um, you know, now I look back and when I have a student that's struggling, um, as frustrating as that is for every teacher, because we want to see our, te our students succeed, um, you know, it, it's very uh easy for me to go back and say, you know what, I was that kid and, and how can I connect with that kid and how can I throw a life raft to them and, and help them. And so, um, you know, I do that with coaching, but I also do that, um, you know, in the classroom as well. So that's a little bit about me, I guess. I love that you allowed the struggles to not so much define you, but as mm -hmm. to propel you into something greater. Mm -hmm. It takes a strong person to do that. It really well, does. Yeah, thank you. It's, I mean, it's not easy. There's a lot of a lot of times when it's, uh, you, you know, you you feel like, you know, you're just spinning your wheels or you know it, things never work out. It's it's just easy to get down on yourself. But and that's what we try and teach our kids is, you know, in our program in our in our coaching program, uh, or in our our baseball program rather. Um, it's it's about you know control what you can control. And there's certain things in life that you're not going to be able to control. And that sounds like a cliche to say it, but in all reality. Things happen to us in life that we have no control over and that we can't do anything about. And if we sit there and just let them happen to us, at the end of the day, we're going to be no better off. But if we control the little aspects that we do control and go one step at a time forward, you know, we can make the best of, of these situations. Yeah, and not to jump, you know, around these these topics, but um, to echo what he said, you know, this that's something that we, we coach down to our kids is – you control your controllables. So when you go up to to bat and uh, you've got a bad umpire who's calling uh, pitches way outside and you can't get to those those pitches, if you're not making adjustments at the plate, you're just going to be called out on strikes. That's just the way it is. And life's the same way. If if you don't make adjustments in your life when when life throws you a bad umpire, I mean you're 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 going to end up just striking out. So you have to make your adjustments in life to to get around those bad calls or those those bad things that life throws at you and and um, make the best of it. Turn turn a a bad umpire into a a CNI single to right field. That is awesome. I love that metaphor. Gosh, baseball is a metaphor for life. Yeah, oh, it is <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's why we love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Now, Nathan, do you prefer Nate or Nathan? Either one, honestly. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure me and his wife are the only ones that call him Nate. <laughs> oh, okay. There's, it's funny. <laughs> honestly, my whole life I was Nathan, and then I went off to college, and it was like 
I don't know because I went to Florida for college, and so I don't know if it was because I had a little bit of a West Virginia accent at the time or, or what. But every time I would say Nathan, people would be like Mason, and I was like, you know, I just got tired of correcting it, so I was like Nate. That's easier. I'll just go by Nate. So Did honestly, think you were Mace. No, nobody are thought. You I was, saying, are you saying Mace? No one thought I was Mace, but I did work at a bank one time, and a lady honestly called me Mason, and I didn't have the heart to tell her, and so I just became Mason. So lady, you're an idiot. I'm Ma- I'm not Mason. I'm Nathan. So, yeah, I don't care. Nate or Nathan. <laughs> Chad. Yeah, I was printed in the in the newspaper uh, in the spring, and they called me Chad. So that's that's another option. I mean, I could see those names being. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get called Chelsea a lot. Oh really? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I can see Chelsea. that. I guess. Yeah. Well, it doesn't about... make it any better, but. Oh, it's okay. Sometimes I don't have the heart unless it's yeah. some kind of official document. Like if it's a government document, please, please spell my name correctly. <laughs> 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 well, thank you, Nathan, so much for that. That was that was really inspiring, and I, oh. I'm I'm really excited for the listeners to. Get some feel good, warm and fuzzies. Okay, Caleb, you got to bring the warm and fuzzies. No, definitely not as, not <laughs> as, as Nate. Um, not as interesting either, I guess. But uh, I grew up in in uh, the Navy. My dad was was a navigator on an Ohio class nuclear sub, and you know, baseball was kind of the thing that me and my brother would get along with. You know, that's that's something that we shared. Um, my dad was was overseas six months at a time, so you know he was he was never home. And um, my brother was kind of a a mentor to me. And and uh, one thing that we shared was a love for baseball, and that started at a young age. And growing up in in the Navy, moving back, my dad left when we were uh, when I was a teenager. And um, similar to Nate, um, you know, different circumstances, but similar, you know single mother and, and growing up with, uh, with, you know, without a dad in the home, um, it, it drives you to be different, I suppose. Um, you have to, to learn things on your own. You have to do things on your own, uh, things that, you know, your, your father may have taught you before you don't get. So you have to, you have to make that up as you go. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful that I had, you know, my brother who's four years older than me was like a father figure growing up. And, and even now, you know, we talk, um, daily and, and even now he's mentoring me and he's, he's 40, I'm 36. And, um, it's just, that's the one thing I love about baseball is it, it brought me and him together like it did. And we've continued that relationship. Um, I went to Marshall University as well. Uh, we moved back. My family's from the Huntington, West Virginia area. We moved back when I was uh, a little younger, but I went to Marshall University, uh, majored in economics with the idea that I was going to go into baseball afterwards. Like Nate, I sucked at baseball, so it's not something that I was going to make a career out of, at least playing-wise. But I wanted to be in the front office and do something like that and uh, had an internship with the Pittsburgh Pirates, which was great and just about maimed my favorite player of all time. Well, with the pirates, it was pretty pretty bad. Um, he threw a box of hats at him. I, I was about I, to ask, like, okay, is it? Is it, it was. It was. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but uh, it was an awesome experience, and it it was something that you know I've always wanted to do is 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 baseball, and I got to see a business side of baseball and and uh, the player side of baseball that you don't normally get to see as a fan 
when it comes to professional baseball. And um, I, I, I just wanted to do that. That's what I wanted to do for a living. And then I, I met my wife. Um, we got married, had kids. And it was just harder and harder and harder to uproot my family. If you know anything about West Virginia, there's very little baseball here. And we just took a, a massive hit with um, one of our biggest affiliated teams just lost affiliation with Major League Baseball. So we don't even have that anymore. So it, it's difficult for West Virginians to have any kind of interaction with professional baseball. You have to drive three hours just to get professional baseball pretty much. Um, so it, it's difficult. I wasn't able to get into that field, and this kind of scratches that itch. Um, I met Nate through my wife. They they worked together at the same school, and uh, he asked if I wanted to come join his his um, coaching staff, and I did. And we've been close ever since. He's been you know like a brother to me, and he's been my best friend since then. And it's been baseball, baseball, baseball ever since. And now we're doing this, and heck, maybe trying to pivot that into something else. So we'll see. I would love to see it become something just beyond your imagination. Yeah, me yeah, too. Thank definitely. you. I would love it. And I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, I don't know a whole lot about baseball, so please forgive me. It's okay. But you guys are Neither. Not experts. <laughs> <laughs> so we've kind of touched on your background, some of your earliest memories of baseball, but what is it about America's pastime? that you love the most what what is it i mean i know you you guys probably like other sports too mm -hmm. but what is it about baseball that you felt the need to have a podcast about it for me um and you kind of mentioned it earlier baseball is kind of a metaphor for life um it it's a team sport um but it's an individual sport and a lot like life, we're individuals, but we're existing within a society, and we have teams, whether that be your school or your church or your family or, or your, your social group, and that's your, that's your team, and that, that's who you're around, but at the end of the day, when the rent's due, it's an individual sport, and, and that's kind of how life is, and that's kind of how baseball is. Ultimately, it comes down to a pitcher versus a batter, and you know, what are you going to do in your at bat? And what are you going to do if the ball's hit to you? And, and your individual um, output and how that then affects the team. And you get into, um, you know, you get into life and you realize that, you know, you sometimes you feel alone. Sometimes you sit in the bat batter's box and you feel alone, but you're not. And you have to learn how to, to rely on those other people in your life. And, and so, to me, it is a metaphor for life. And and there are other, there are other sports that will you know claim the same thing. And I agree. You know, other sports have their 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 you know um, their points there. But you know, I, I like that it's individual, but it's team. And I like that um, you know there's no clock. You have to beat the other team. Um, if you're going to win the game, you have to do better than the other team. You can't run out the clock. You can't you know, go hide in the corner, you know, you, you have to go out and actively, you know, try and beat the other team, which again, you know, in life, a lot of times you can't just hide from your problems and hope they go away. You know, when the time runs out, you have to go, you know, um, conquer them. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my take on it. Um, mine's very similar. Um, now I, I grew up with, with the game. It was something that again, me and my brother really loved. Um, but, it really is a metaphor for life in so many different ways. You know, we touched on it earlier with with um, you got to make adjustments when life throws you something that you're not ready for, and if you don't make those adjustments, you're you're just going to be called out at the plate. 
Um, but it also gives you hope. So like, like Nate was saying, um, there's no time. There's no clock. The game's over when the last pitch is thrown and the last out is recorded. That means there's always hope. It doesn't matter what kind of odds you're going up against. You could be down 20 to nothing and you're going to still win that ball game. There's no, there's no game over until the game's literally over. And you can be down to your final strike, down four runs, and still win that ball game. Um, and that's how I, I think it's great to approach life. So when you're, when you're approaching life with the idea that there is no lead that's not insurmountable, um, there's no lead that I, I can't break, there's no you know, obstacle that I can't climb over, you're just going to be a better person for it. And I think baseball is the perfect metaphor for that. And you know, that's that's something that I love about that game. And to, and to kind of piggyback on that, you have to, you know, in order to overcome those leads, you have to rely on those on your team. Just like in life, you have to rely on the people around you. You can't, you know, you can't do it alone. And, um, you know, I remember in college, we lost a game 35 to 7, which, which you know, is, is really bad in baseball. That was your fault, wasn't it? it was, I didn't play. You know, we <laughs> lost 35 to 7, but the next time out, the next time we played that team, we won, um, you know, 7 to 4. So, it, 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 again, you know, not to kind of just pound home the, the same point, but, you know, there is no clock. You you have to get the uh, the last out, and, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, you and your teammates are the ones that decide kind of the outcome there. And one thing that's unique about the game of baseball, uh, you look at football, you look at basketball, you look at soccer, soccer to a lesser extent, um, but all these other team sports, they have specific plays and specific um, uh, game plans that are specific to that team, to that scheme, to that whatever that team's trying to do. Baseball is not like that. I mean, you, you have it to a certain extent, but I can, you know, have one guy in one dugout for one inning, go to the other dugout, put on a different uniform and play the game the exact same way. So everybody's on an even playing field. No matter what you're going out, you're playing the same exact game. It's this, it's played the same way by every single person. Some people may be more physically gifted than others. Some people may just be more athletic than others. Some people might be smarter than others, but when it comes down to it, the game is fair. And there will be curveballs again. You know, that's that might seem unfair. Bad umpires or or bad hops. You know, ball hits a, a rock that shouldn't be there. But that's life too. So it, it's it's a game governed by objective rules that might end up throwing a curveball at you every once in a while. It, so again, it's it's the perfect metaphor for life. And one of the cool things that kind of goes with that is the fact that a lot of people don't realize this, but back in like the 30s and 40s, players would leave their gloves on the field, and then the next team, when they would go out into the field, they would use the same glove. So you would use the same glove for both teams. And so, you know, that just kind of speaks to the fact that in, even in the origins of the game, it was a level playing field. It wasn't you're going to get an advantage because you have different equipment. Everybody used the same gloves, you know. And, you know, it's funny to think about that now because you think of these players that are, you know, making millions of dollars. It'd be kind of silly for them to, like, leave their glove on the field and then, you know, come in and go. But, like, again, that's, that's just it's the same rules for everybody. And it's, that's what makes it beautiful. It's I, – whenever I think of baseball – I just think of how much it's woven into our culture. It, yes, the in the NFL, I think sometimes it gets the sh the largest share of attention. I don't know if it's the marketing, the excitement, yeah. the scandals. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I, whenever I think of baseball, I think back to even when kids are little and their mom or dad wants to go, hey, let's go and uh, throw the ball and practice mm -hmm. catching at the mitt. Just just wholesome things yep. like that. And I know yep. that I know that baseball has had some sordid moments in its past with steroid use and whatever that's that's on the player. But overall, it seems like such a wholesome sport. Mm -hmm. Is that a is that an incorrect interpretation? No, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And we've actually talked about this on our podcast before. Baseball is a relational sport. Mm -hmm. It's a sport where you are, and, and most people that love baseball, when you talk to them, they all have a story about how they got into the game and how they fell in love with baseball. And whether it was, you know, Caleb and his brother or me and my brother or me and my dad. And, you know, it, it's a it's a game that families a lot of times teach each other or friends teach each other. And so, you know, kids playing in, in a sandlot, you know, type of thing or, or you know, um, playing in the neighborhood or playing in the street. Like, that is what baseball is all about. And it's a relational sport. And it kind of goes back to that not having a clock where, um, you know, if you go to a baseball game and, and I've had people that are like, you know, because they know I like baseball and, you know, they'll be talking to me and they'll say things like, well, you know, I, I can't watch a game on TV, but going to a game is a lot. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes, listen, sometimes games on TV are boring, but when you're at a baseball game and, you know, it's a warm summer night and there's hot dogs and, you know, cold drinks and you're able to kind of sit there and, and watch a game with somebody next to you and just the pace of the game allows you to, to build a relationship with them. It's not like football where, you know, I went to a football game Friday night and it was enjoyable, but ultimately, you know, the only time I was able to talk to the person next to me was like in between plays. And I might have 10 seconds and that's if the crowd's not loud um, in a baseball game. You know, it's it's a little bit slower paced and, you know, you have in between pitches and you have in between innings. And there's just there's time to build that relationship with the people around you, which also builds those memories. And so I think you're I think to say it's a wholesome sport, I think you're absolutely right. It's built on relationships. And that's not to say that that there's not a a bruised history when it comes to the game. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the Negro leagues earlier and, um, when, when you go back and you can listen to some of those episodes, uh, if I try to tell some of those stories, I can't do these stories justice like Bob Kendrick can. Um, but when you look at the history, you know, the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, uh, that separation between, you know, white America and black America and it was so distinct that, you know, at the ballpark, if you had crowds of, of white people on one side, you had them separated from black fans with chicken wire. And that's one cool thing about the, the Negro League Museum is everything is separated by, by chicken wire to kind of illustrate that. And Bob Kendrick would tell a story that I love this this story about Satchel Paige. Um, they were playing a, a team of of goodness, I can't remember who they were playing. Sure. It, it was it was a it was an all white team, and somebody came out of the dugout and started saying some racial slurs to to uh, Satchel Paige, and he told his fielders to come in. And you know they they came in a little bit. The infielders played in a little bit. The outfielders played in a little bit. And he said, no, all the way in. So they all came in and sat around the, the pitcher's mound while Satchel Page struck out the side. So it is the, it, it's a game that transcends race, uh, relations, color, whatever. It just transcends, and it, it's, it makes everything an even playing ground. So 
it, it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, or whatever. I just got to be better than you. And if I can strike you out, I don't care who you are, who you think you are. I've got you right now. And the next time out, you might hit a 500-foot bomb and do a back, uh, bat flip on me, and that's okay too. But that's that's something that I love about this game is I don't care where you come from, who you are, what your upbringing is. There's, there's a lot of people that came from rich American homes and a lot of people that grew up playing in the streets of the Dominican Republic with milk jugs as, as gloves, all playing the same game at the same level right now in Major League Baseball. And that's just an awesome thing to think of. So there are natural um, inequalities in the world, and baseball evens that out. That's beautiful. And was baseball, please forgive me if I'm wrong, but whenever I think of how you were talking about the the inclusion of African Americans, I think of Jackie Robinson. Was he <laughs> the first black baseball player mm-hmm. in major league baseball yes okay yeah there was a there was actually uh an african-american that played in toledo and i think the end of the 1800s he played a couple of games but that wasn't it wasn't it was professional baseball but it wasn't major league baseball in the same way um so technically jackie robinson you know that's the one that he he really did he fleetwood walker kind of played some games but yeah jackie robinson is the first I guess we take it for granted because, well, we're we're white and we're also living in 2020. As it's a little, it's not perfect, but it, it's better than it was back then. But I can't even imagine the amount of bravery, right, it took for him and any other black players. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the there's. I mean, you know, and it's crazy talking to Bob and and hearing the stories of these players that, you know were better than the players that were in the major leagues, but they were, you know, they just loved the game and they wanted to play. And so, you know, that's how the Negro league started. But even, you know, going beyond that, um, when they did, when Jackie Robinson did break into, um, into baseball, you know, he's just playing a game and he's being threatened with death and he's, you know, being, you know, told these things and his team isn't, you know, there's a story of the Dodgers that go to a hotel and, the hotel wouldn't let Jackie stay there. So the Dodgers, the whole team said, well, we're not staying here either. And they left and, and went to another, uh, another hotel. And, you know, just the courage that he had. Um, and it would have been so easy, I think, for, for any of us, if, if we were put in that position to say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm not going to put my life on the line for a game. But ultimately he saw that it was bigger than him. And it was bigger than just that game because, because he could play, not only did baseball allow other players like him, other other players that had been excluded to play, but now we are, you know, in 2020, and you know, a large portion of baseball is Hispanic players that would have never gotten the opportunity to play. Um, you never would have had the game grow in the way that it did if it hadn't been for you know players like Jackie Robinson and and you know some of the other greats that that really showed that courage. Yeah. And, and now it, you, you see what 12 to 14 countries represented in, yeah. in major league baseball, um, across South America, Asia, Europe, and, and North America. So the game's grown globally really, really well. Now we, we could probably talk all day about how it's grown domestically and we're not going to get into that, but, um, again, it, it harkens to that idea that 
You know, it doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from. The game is the game. That's awesome. I love I love hearing that. And I I would love to know. You, okay, so I know Caleb, you're a big Cubs fan. Where mm-hmm. you? I want to kind of go back to maybe what are your favorite? Who were your favorite teams? What caused you to fall in love with these teams? Whether it would be the players, the memories, the location, whatever it is. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to be like, oh, I don't have a favorite team. <laughs> I love them all equally. <laughs> no, we're we're pretty vocal about our, our <laughs> yeah, we our favorite teams, and we where some of us are a little more harsh about our teams than others. But uh, I'm I'm a Cubs fan because uh, again, I grew up in the Navy and um, Virginia Beach, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, um, and Georgia. There really wasn't a whole lot of baseball to watch. If I wanted to watch a game of baseball, it was on WGN. Um, WGN baseball carried the Chicago Cubs. My entire family—they're all Cincinnati Reds fans. My brother's Cincinnati Reds fans. Um, my uncle's Cincinnati Reds fan. My uh, uh, aunts are Cincinnati Reds fans. His kids, my brother's kids, are Cincinnati Reds fans. And I'm the only Cubs fan in my family. It's kind of odd, but I grew up with WGN. So I'd wake up in the morning if I wasn't in school, and I'd watch, especially during the summer, I'd watch, you know, Bozo the Clown on WGN, and then a movie or something, and then 120 baseball on WGN at Wrigley Field, and I loved it. That's that's one of the ways I fell in love with the game is is that natural that national spotlight on this single team with so much uh, history and so much tradition, and. Um, it just it just stuck with me, and I mean, one of my earliest memories is seeing Andre Dawson throwing bats onto a field after getting thrown out of a game. So he went into the dugout and took all the baseballs, all the baseball bats, and threw it out on the field. I think I was like six or seven years old. It's one of my first memories, and I, not a good example for kids, but it isn't. <laughs> That would I stick know. out in my mind too. Yeah. You're like, oh, everything we just said about it being, you know, a good thing for, yeah, wholesome. Yeah. Just kidding, jerk. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that's one of my that was one of my favorite memories. It's one of my earliest memories with the game, and um, oddly enough, one of probably my earliest professional memory is is with the Cincinnati Reds when they won the World Series in 1990. He wasn't born. And uh, you weren't born, but you were born. Yeah, you still. I was remember six it. months old. You don't remember, it. but uh, <laughs> I I remember that that game. I remember Barry Larkin doing a backflip after they make the final out, and it was just. I'm shocked that I didn't become a Reds fan because it's so ingrained in my family, but I just went the way of the Cubs, and it's always been that way. I've just been a Cubs fan. Yeah, I um I've always been a Reds fan. I, there's baby pictures of me in a Reds uniform. Um my dad was a big Reds fan and so was my brother and so um just kind of growing up that's the team our family cheered for and that that was really kind of the, the only option I had um growing up I felt but I I fell in love with the stories that my dad would tell about some of the great old teams that he he uh, watched play and then my, a lot of credit goes to my mom. My dad, like I said earlier, passed away when I was 10. So from that point on, it would have been really easy for, you know, my mom doesn't really like baseball. So it would have been really easy for her to not, you know, try to carry that on. But she, she took me to a game and Cincinnati's about two and a half, three, three hours away. And, uh, she, you know, she would take me to a game once, twice, three times a summer. And, and, you know, we would go to Cincinnati for the weekend and we would, we would watch a, a three game, 
you know, set. And, you know, back then I'm thinking, oh, you know, mom's taking me to the game because she enjoys it. But now I look back and I'm like, she was miserable for those hours because she didn't really like the game of baseball. Um, and she had, you know, she had raised three kids or I was the third kid. And, um, you know, uh, I was the youngest by, by a wide margin. So it would have been so easy for her to kind of be like, you know, I, we'll do something else. We'll do, you know, other activities. But, you know, she knew that I had a passion about baseball and she knew that, you know, my dad had had a passion about baseball and it was important for him to kind of pass that on to me. So, you know, I, I just kind of became a Reds fan by, um, through that and, and through the experience of getting to go to those games and, and see those players and, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I guess kind of meant to be. So what would you say is your favorite baseball game that you've ever attended that come like if someone said, Oh my God, what was the most monumental game you've ever attended? What's the first one that comes to mind? So for me, um, you know, well, the red sucks. So there's <laughs> really not <laughs> so bad. Um, it good or bad? Yeah. Um, I went to a playoff game and they lost. <laughs> um, you know, uh, honestly, it's not even in, you know, I love the, the Reds are definitely my favorite team, but honestly, it goes probably my favorite game that I attended is probably a game in um, a playoff game in the Dominican Republic. Um, my brother lives in the Dominican Republic and I've been able to go over there several times and uh, I was able to go over one time when the team in his town was in the playoffs and um, it, Dominican winter ball is uh, where a lot of players from the States will go over and they'll play in the winter and they'll, um, they will, uh, kind of work on their craft and, and try and get better. And, um, but Dominicans are crazy about baseball. And so if you watch, you know, if you see highlights of like European soccer where they're like chanting, it's like that, but with baseball. And so, you know, there's cowbells and, um, horns and, you know, people screaming and dancing and it, it's a, such a cool atmosphere, but, um, the town that he is in, they hadn't won a, a championship in 60 years and there was you know always talk about how um the owner was getting you know he would bet against the team and then you know cause them to lose on purpose and like there's all these rumors about you know all that but i was able to be there one year when they made the playoffs and to see the town kind of come together and be in that atmosphere and you know they won on a walk-off uh inside the park home run that was just i mean it was the coolest thing so it's not American baseball, um, but it, that's definitely the best baseball game I've ever been to as far as, uh, you know, just that was so cool. Um, you know, another great baseball game I was at, um, a player on the Reds hit uh, hit three home runs against the Pirates, and I just do not like the Pirates <laughs> at all whatsoever. And so, um, you know, he hit the home runs, and he, he strutted around the bases, and, and it was just... Um, it was <laughs> that wasn't the game that we went to where Javi Baez hit a grand slam. You remember that? That was the and Cubs, the Cubs one. Yeah, so that yeah. the Pirates one. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, those are probably the, the ones oh, for me. The Red suck. <laughs> now for me, uh, 1998. Um, I'm not sure if you remember this or not, but that that was the year of the big home run race. So you had um, uh. Mark Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Don't, don't, don't try to... <laughs> you weren't thinking of the names. I almost said Barry Bonds. I don't yeah. know why. But McGuire <laughs> and Sammy Sosa had a, a big home run race in 1998. So um, before that, the, the record was 61 home runs set by Roger Maris in, um, what is it, 1960? And uh, Babe Ruth had the record before that with 60 home runs. So... Up to 1998, only two guys have ever hit 60 home runs or more in a in a baseball season. That year, Mark McGuire 
hit 60 first. And then I was at the game in 1998 when Sammy Sosa hit his 60th. So I got to see the uh, only the fourth player in Major League history to ever hit 60 home runs or more, which was really cool. And uh, it was a game that the Cubs were losing bad. It was against the Brewers, and we hate the Brewers. We hate the Pirates. We hate the Cardinals. That's one thing that we, have we hate all these teams. Um, I'm just maybe like somebody's going to listen to this episode and be like, we got to change his mind. It's contact meetings on the mound. This is probably don't like our fan, our team either. So, no, it's, so it's, it's, it's all in it's love. But... Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, except for Cardinal fans, you guys <laughs> just go away. Uh, but, uh, I kid, not really. Um, it was it was a game that the Cubs were losing pretty badly. I think they were down eight runs um, in the sixth or seventh inning, and Sammy Sosa hit that 60th home run, and the place just it was electric, and it just fired the team up in a in a way that I've never seen a team get get fired up just by one swing of the bat, the crowd was in it the rest of the game, and the Cubs ended up coming back and winning that game in extra innings, and it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, and uh, it was the last game I saw with with my dad before he left, and um, I think it was kind of one of those trying to make something up to your son, blah, 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 but then he kind of just disappeared, and I'll always remember that. It was just me and my dad who just took a random trip to Wrigley Field and saw Sammy Sosa hit number 60. And it's just, it's always going to stay with me. Oh, that is so awesome. And at whenever we're kids or teenagers, just those moments I find stand out so much stronger in our minds. I, I don't know what it is. These awesome moments in time, these memories. <laughs> now, Nathan, you might have answered this question already because you said you've been to the Dominican Republic, but maybe you have a different answer. And I'm curious. So with baseball being in different countries, is there a particular culture's baseball game that you guys would like to see more than any others? I think um, because I've already seen baseball in the Dominican, I, baseball in the Dominican is my favorite just because to me it is it gets back to that pureness it gets back to that um just kids playing in the street now you know they're playing because it's a very poor country and and the goal is to get off the island and so there's definitely an urgency there and a, a desire to to make it for your family and to make it so that you know you can you can um, provide for your family but at the end of the day the kids also love playing the game and they play it with such a joy um, and they are out there playing with a milk carton on their hand, though it's a glove. So I love Dominican baseball. That's you know, that's what I want. To, I wish I could bring that back and and bring that sense of joy and urgency and that that curious mixture that they have to the states. But um, I think for me, I would love to see baseball um, in Japan because it's very unique. Um, their style of baseball is a little is a little unique. And and I've watched Japanese baseball, but I've never obviously. Um, I've never been to Japan, so I've never seen a game. But I, I think for me, I would like to, I'd love to go to a, a Japanese baseball game. And I think it's it's probably the same with me. Um, I, I mean, I'd love to go and see a game in in the Dominican Republic. That's probably my number one. Um, I, I get to kind of live it vicariously through through Nate when he tells me all these great stories about how he had dinner at McDonald's with Robinson Cano. I did. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, uh, Japan, it, it's, it's very similar to American baseball in, in that, you know, they, they look at their stars as superstars, almost like untouchable, uh, rock stars. Um, Dominican Republic, it's, everybody's approachable. The game's approachable. It's, it's, it's just every, everybody's there to enjoy the game and they know what they're there to enjoy. So you look at, at something like, um, you Darvish, who was a star for the, for, um, I forget who he played for in Japan, but uh, we came over to the uh, the Texas Rangers, and um, he's a superstar over there. I mean, he's got uh, on Twitter like millions of followers. I mean, everybody loves Yu Darvish. It's the same with uh, Ichiro Suzuki. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. Um, and it's it's the same way in the Dominican. Only, I mean, it, it's not. You don't have a million. Twitter followers for these guys in the Dominican. They're just they love their team. They love their community. They love they love the game. And yeah, you can be walking down the street and see, you know, a, a all star, you know, playing dominoes with his friends where he grew up, you know, in the McDonald's. in the off season. So or, where he's come from. Yeah, exactly. They don't forget where they come from, and yeah. you know, they're quick to go back. Now, when they go back, it's it's always funny in the off season. There's um, all of a sudden a lot of luxury cars, you know, driving on the streets that aren't there during baseball season because you know they obviously have money and they're you know they're spending, but they don't forget where they come from, and they they're very um, and that's that's Latin culture where family is so important um, and extended family is so important. So that is that's so awesome. I. I did notice my, my first baseball game was in 2018. We went to Petco Park to see the Padres play against the uh, San Francisco. What's the San Francisco team called? Just Giants. 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 Okay. So I could not remember. And that was, <laughs> that was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Just, just to be there and just the fun little in between plays things yeah. that would happen and to see the little Padre mascot, the little <laughs> the <laughs> Friar Tuck. Yes, Friar. <laughs> he was walking around. And because my dad's from San Diego, so it was really cool to kind of see that part of his childhood. And then um last year we went to a Cubs game, but before the Cubs game we went on a tour. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Oh maybe and, I did know that. I think I knew that. I Oh my gosh, just, I have to say, I think I liked that even more than the game. That the game was cool. You, you Darvish was playing. That was awesome. But just the history and you guys might love this. And I think this might be your dream job. The the gentleman was a retired lawyer and he said that was his job now that he was doing what he loved was giving tours. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've listened. <laughs> I've talked to my wife when I, when I retire from teaching and coaching, like, you know, I, I, I've had ushers tell me to like, you know, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I retired from being a teacher or whatever. I'm like, you know, you're living the dream. You're retired and you get to watch baseball and, you know, help people to their seats. Like, that's perfect. <laughs> or, or do the tours. I, I've done it. I've never done a tour at Wrigley. I've done one in the red stadium. Um, and I've done one in Pittsburgh for their stadium, even though I don't like their team, they have a beautiful ballpark. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I would definitely, I would highly recommend anybody, whether you're a baseball fan or not, go on a ballpark tour yeah. because you get great access and it's so cool to see like the stadiums and the history and all that. Yeah. I loved it. So what, if there's a stadium you have not been to, is there a stadium on your list that you would like to visit? For me, I've got two. Um, I was able to go to old Yankee stadium before they tore it down. 
Wow. And that was a really historic stadium because that's where like Babe Ruth played and uh, Mickey Mantle and all the greats, uh, you know, played in that park. And so I was able to go there in one of the last seasons before they tore it down when I was younger, which was really cool. Um, it's such a Yankee thing to turn a historic ballpark <laughs> into a, a parking, parking lot. lot. Yeah. Um, like a song that we know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paradise. Um, and so, yeah, but, uh, the Yankee, Yankee Stadium was cool. I've never been to Fenway Park in Boston, and I've never been to Wrigley. And so both of those are definitely on my list of beca- just because of the history and because I love the game, I love the history of the game. To be able to watch a game you know, where these players played is just so cool to me. Um, and I'm a history teacher, so I just I love I love history. I love you know when I'm at these places that are historic. I love just thinking about like how many people have sat with the same vantage point I have, you know, and watched this game and what are their lives like and you know what was it like watching the same game? You know, baseball is basically the same game as it was you know 75, 80 years ago for the most part, and I'm watching the same game that somebody did that lived during World War II. Like that's just you know, um, I don't know. It's cool to me to to be able to do that, especially with baseball. And, and baseball is really one of the few sports with um, historic uh, uh, historic ballparks. Um, you know, football. There's a couple like Soldier Field in Chicago, but it's not really the same. It doesn't have the same allure as like a baseball park. Right. And you know, basketball doesn't really have that. So it's really cool to have you know these historic ballparks that it's like you know um, all these greats played here and. And people came and saw games here, just like I'm coming to see games here today. Yeah, and my answer is probably fairly similar. Um, I'd love to go to Fenway. Fenway, it was built, what, 1912? Something like that? Something like that. So it's over 100 years old. And I mean, I've been to Wrigley. I've seen Wrigley. And um, not that I don't want to go back. It's like mecca for me in in terms of baseball. If I could go there annually, I would. If I could live in right field, I would. Um, But... (laughs) Fenway, I'd love to go and see Fenway, but I'd also love to go and see Dodger Stadium. Yeah, um, Dodger Stadium, it's the only stadium the Dodgers have have played in after moving from Brooklyn. Um, so they were the Brooklyn Dodgers for pretty much their entire existence until they moved out to L.A., and they've been in that stadium ever since. So there's still a lot of history there. It's not near as old as, as say, Wrigley Field or, or Fenway, but uh, I think it was built in like the early 60s still a ton of history there and a lot of great ball players have come in and out of that stadium and i'd love to love to go and see that and one thing just kind of to go off that i love the little details of all these stadiums and how different stadiums have different stories and one of the coolest things about la is if you see a picture of their stadium their seats are arranged to look like the ocean so like the seats down close i think are the ones that are like blue and then as it gets uh, higher it gets lighter blue and then it's like the sand so it gets to be like tan and so it's like little details like that with baseball parks that like little architectural nods to history or to the culture around that area that that i think make it unique and it's just kind of speaks to the uniqueness of baseball to me yep i really love how you guys were talking about being there at the same time as people from other generations and other time periods that that sense chills down my spine because it sounds like things you would read just about in storybooks, but to actually yeah. be there yeah. where history has happened, it you can almost feel the ghost of the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, you know, Babe Ruth calling a shot in, uh, in the world series, the, the famous home run that was Wrigley field. Um, and you know, that, that stadium is still there. That 
field is still there. The the ground that that Babe Ruth walked on during that World Series, that's still there. That's where players are playing right now, and um, it, it's just really cool. I mean, I, I know Babe Ruth wasn't a Cub, but uh, you got all these Cub legends that that were there, Frank Chance, and and uh, going all the way up. Ron Santo and and uh, Fergie Jenkins and and Ernie Banks, all these these greats that played on that that turf, and now you know our favorite players are playing there, and it's just it's you're right, it's it's like the ghosts of history are are still there, and that's a common theme in you know baseball movies and and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, baseball movies. There's there's a famous quote. Um, I think it's from. Um, Oh, now I'm gonna blank. I think it's from uh, "For the Love of the Game," but he he basically says it's really hard not to be romantic about baseball, or how can you not be romantic about baseball? And I think it goes back to that idea of just the ghosts of the past, but also the stars of the future and the stars of the present. Um, you know, the you know, the movie "Field of Dreams" um, is my favorite movie, and in that movie, you know, it's a it's a story about a father and son, and but the whole idea is these ghosts come and play baseball and they, they just want to play baseball. And so they come out on this field and, and play baseball. So, you know, I think that is prevalent. The idea of these, you know, these figures that are larger than life today, um, you know, are, are getting the opportunity or, you know, we get the opportunity to, to watch stars today that were, you know, playing in the same place as these stars that are larger than life from, from yesteryear that yeah, are playing. Yeah. Some so. of these stadiums, you know, you can almost call them our Gettysburg um, you go to Gettysburg and you see these this battlefield that, you know, that's such an important battlefield in our our history, um, and in a, in a sense, these are also battlegrounds. Obviously, less important. So, listen, I'm just saying it's not as important as Gettysburg. I'm not saying it is. <laughs> sure, it's, it's, oh, they're gonna clip that and put it on social media, and you're getting canceled. Wow, I've already been canceled, so I, I can I can weather that. Um, understand the poetic device yeah. <laughs> let's uh well i'll teach you guys come on <laughs> we'll learn something poetic I'm not saying it's as important as gettysburg you <laughs> jerk but it, like gettysburg you go to that battlefield and, and you almost feel the ghost of of the past you know the the history that bloody history that's there but then you go to a somewhere like wrigley field and you've got those same ghosts but that bloody history doesn't exist and it's it's more of a you know a, a great history rather than something that, you know, it's, it's a sad history or a tragic history as would be a, a battleground. Um, and, and it's just, it's woven into American history and it's just you, I think it's unique to baseball and baseball only. You know, you bring up a good point about history because I notice a lot of times we tend to focus on the negatives. It's very easy, kind of like the news cycle. Mm-hmm very easy to get caught in what is it doom scrolling where you just keep looking up bad news after bad news and it's really easy to focus on the horrible things that have happened in history and we have to acknowledge them yes we have to we can't bury them we have to move on we have to learn so we can be better people but we also have to acknowledge the positives like you're saying Caleb with with baseball there are beautiful parts of history that I think Mm -hmm. it kind of brushed aside because I guess they don't attract as much attention. I don't know. Yeah. And that's one thing that I, there's a lot about baseball in, in current major league baseball that we, we like to gripe about because we think that, you know, maybe they're not doing the right things and, you know, growing the game or whatever. But as far as the leadership of baseball, um, but one thing I love about baseball is it is connected to the past in a way that's very different from 
all the other sports. You know, records in baseball mean more because, you know, everybody knows, you know, nobody knows who is the all-time, um, you know, the all-time best pick another sport and pick their all-time leader and and half the people you may not know it another sport i can't right <laughs> um but like baseball everybody knows you know um barry bonds or everybody yeah. knows babe ruth or you know some of these players and that, it goes back to that relationship with the game and how it's passed down but i think it also goes back to just baseball reveres its past and um i think that's a good thing and there are a lot of positives about baseball you know there's the you know i think of the moments like um the uh, the Lou Gehrig speech where he says, you know, I, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Um, and he's a guy that knows he's going to die soon. But he he considers the fact that he was able to play Major League Baseball and he's out there with his his friends and and his teammates. And he considers himself to be the luckiest guy on the face of the earth when most people would look at him and say, man, that kind of sucks. You know, you <laughs> you know, you're right in the middle of your career and you get this disease that at the time nobody knew what it was. And um you know, and you're, you're going to die. <laughs> and, um, you know, he still considered himself that lucky and, you know, that speech or, um, there's a famous play where, um, somebody was going to burn an American flag on the, on the, uh, in, in the outfield and a player ran in and grabbed the flag and, and ran away. And it was just kind of a, a cool moment that, you know, that he was going to do that. So, um, but baseball does a good job of reminding people of the past and they do, cool things when, when those dates come up they they do a good job of of kind of rekindling that and, and reminding people of, of what it was like oh my gosh i got shivers <laughs> that, was, that was so good oh well how how does your passion for the sport translate to your coaching philosophies you touched you both touched on it a little bit at the beginning in your introductions but i would love to learn more about coaching so for me, it's all about relationships. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a cliche. Everybody always says it, but it's it's really true. Um, kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and they don't care that you know you know more about the game of baseball, or you know how to break down a swing, or you know um, you know how to how to help them pitch better, unless they know that you're actually in their corner and you know they know that you're there for them and. So that's job one for me in, in coaching is being there for the kids and letting them know, you know, it's bigger than baseball. And a lot of coaches will tell you it's bigger than baseball or it's bigger than wins and losses, but then their actions kind of go the other way. And um, I've known coaches like that. And, and for me, you know, I've had kids come to me before and say, I can't be a practice because I have a test. And, you know, to me, I'll every time tell that kid, <laughs> go study for the test because that is more important to me than baseball. And as passionate a, and and kids see that I'm passionate about baseball, they know that I'm not just doing it as a hobby. They know it's it's part of my life. But when I'm willing to say that as important as baseball is to me, your education is more important, or as important as your as baseball is to me, your family is more important. Um, I think that allows them to see and put things in proper. Uh, priority and and they're able to um, to understand that. So for me, for coaching, you know, baseball is a is a top priority, but it's not the top priority in life. You know, most of the kids I coach, as as great as they think they may be one day, and how as great as I hope that they will be one day, just statistically speaking, they're not going to be major leaguers, and so they have to be ready for life after baseball. And so 
you know, rather than baseball being the end game, baseball kind of becomes a tool to prepare them for the end game, the the game of life, and and that's what I try and how I try to uh, to coach and prepare prepare our kids. It's a it's about the same. We have a very similar philosophy, and I think that's why we we mesh so well on the field. Is um, you know we we want to build those relationships with those kids, and uh, with with me, it's it's a little different. I'm not a teacher, so I've I only have a couple of of hours a day to to really get to know these kids. I get the locker room and then I get the field. And uh, during that time, I've got to instill in them um, the idea of of what Nate was saying. You know, baseball is important, but there's you know, like my personal philosophy, for example, is God, family, baseball in that order. And uh, there are things in life that are more important than the game. The game just takes you there, and it's it's a great learning experience for life and a great like we've been saying is a great metaphor for life and so i've got to be able to compact that down into 2 hours and sometimes that's very difficult to do and that's why building relationships is so important um having a, a kid come up up to you after practice or after a game say hey coach can can we work on on my uh, change up or can we can we work on my uh my throws to second or, or something like that. It It's, it's a different uh, idea that, that, you know, I can get them to, to trust that what I'm doing for them is for the best. It may not feel right. It may not, not look good at the time, but they trust that I'm doing what's best for them, what's best for their future in the game and what's best for their future in, in life. And, Going back to our our kind of our team motto, control your controllables. Make adjustments when you can. Uh, where where you're not ready for for you know the bad calls or or the bad pitches or whatever, you've got to make adjustments to to remedy that problem. And that's that's kind of our approach. And and I think it's important when you're growing young young boys into young men. That's a really great philosophy. And you guys remind me of that quote. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, people may not remember what you said. People may not remember what you did, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about people in your lives who, I don't remember what this teacher said when I was in sixth grade, but I remember they encouraged me or mm-hmm. they cared about something going on in my my life with my family. Just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's part of where our philosophy too kind of brings in, you know, we believe that baseball should be fun because, you know, we've all been on those teams where adults are taking it too seriously and I think sports sometimes gets a bad rap for that. You you see the videos on Facebook or Twitter where um somebody, you know, parents are getting kicked out of a game or fighting with each other, or something like that, like terrible moments in in sports. And it's like, that's just ruining it for the kids because the, the grown-ups are taking it too seriously. And I think that's why, you know, I don't want our kids to be scared of failure. And that's another reason I love baseball is because baseball is a game of failure. So what I mean by that is you strike out or you get out seven times out of ten, and that means you had a success, You got to hit three times out of ten. Well, you're if that's the case, yeah. you're batting 300 and you're a Hall of Famer. You know, you're you're going to the Hall of Fame because you got to hit three times out of 10. It's a game you have to learn to deal with failure. And 
so one way we learn to deal with failure is we have fun and and not that we have fun failing but we have fun and and we bring fit uh, bring fun into we do it. have fun failing. We, sometimes we have fun <laughs> failing but we bring fun into it because you know one thing i'm i see in the classroom and my wife's a teacher too um, at a different school but she sees it as well and we kind of talk about it is you know kids sometimes are scared to fail um and i think it's because of social media and because we compare each other to, to, to other people and we kind of get in this, this mindset and we get very competitive and it's, we're so scared to fail. And in reality, failure is where you grow so many times in life and failure is where you learn what didn't work. So, you know, the famous Edison quote, you know, I didn't fail however many times to make a light bulb. I figured out how many ways to not make a light bulb and you know that is that's so true in life but it's also true in baseball and out of that failure you also learn to be creative and you learn to make you know some amazing plays and and that's the thing another thing about baseball and, and all sports but but what i love about baseball is you can be creative and you can kind of learn how to do things and i just think that you know our generation that that the generations that are coming up need that because they need to learn how to fail that it's not over if you strike out it's not over if you know you get out it the the game goes on life goes on and and you know you learn how to grow from that but then you can also within that be creative and and learn to do things that you didn't think were possible or you didn't think you could do and two uh baseball in my view is it's a sanctuary um, that field is a sanctuary for for you know we, we don't know what what some of these kids are going through at home. You know we might get a, a an idea. Uh, Nate would have a better idea as a teacher as seeing them every day and spending a lot more time uh, than maybe I would. But um, there's a lot of times that even he may not know what's going on at home, and um, this is an escape for them. So uh, if there is something bad at home or something going on that they're worried about or scared about or nervous about, uh, baseball is a game that you have to turn it off. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about the things outside of the game, that failing three out of uh, or seven out of ten times, it's going to be nine out of ten times. Uh, it's a mental game. It really is. And it, it teaches you, I don't want to say meditation, but it's almost a meditative idea that you've got to shut it down. You've got to shut everything off and focus on that that pitch that's coming or the batter that you're facing, uh, the pitch that you're getting ready to throw, or what am I going to do with the ball when it comes to me? So you got to shut everything else out and focus on the moment. So that becomes almost a sanctuary. Um, now if, if coaches are a little too hard or too difficult or have too high of expectations of their, of their players, that's no longer a sanctuary. It becomes another battleground for them. And, you know, that's part of building that relationship. We have expectations. We have high expectations of our kids. We don't have unreasonable expectations. We'll have stretch goals. But all we ask is that you give 100%. If you're walking out to to left field, get your butt back on the bench. If you're walking out a, a pop fly, get your butt back on the bench. Um but if you're if you're running out a ground ball that you just tapped back to the pitcher, you swung out of your shoes, um, and you tried as as hard as you could to make a good play, make a good out, or or whatever, we're not going to get on to you. We may take you aside and say, well, you, you you kind of threw out of your your swing there, or you you were you know out of your hips, or whatever the case may be, to try to correct course. But we're not going to come down on you if if you are doing what we asked you to do. 
And even if you do, even if we do put you on the bench, you're not on the bench for the rest of your life. I mean, that's that's a short thing, and it's uh, you know, hey, let's, you know, and and we're not gonna leave you there. You know, we're gonna come over and we're gonna sit next to you and we're gonna say, hey, listen, so, you know, this is why we do this, and you know, this is what we want to do, and and that's another really kind of not to keep going off on branches of our coaching philosophy, but the why and explaining why we expect certain things is really important to kids. Um, you know, I remember growing up and asking why and being told because I said so. You know, that's that was kind of I think the the cliche the big answer that everybody would say. And you know, I was really looking forward to using that as an adult. And you know, I get here and it doesn't work. So, um, but like that answer today doesn't work. You don't get to say that to kids. Oh, just I totally but, say it to my kids. <laughs> but like, there's you know, the kids you know come up on our team. They may accept that answer, but they want to know why why we're doing something, and they want the the reason why. So rather than just say, "Hey, do it, kid," because I said to, it's like, "Well, this is why I want you to do that." And so then they're more likely to take ownership over that, and then change that behavior or or do whatever they, you know, whatever it was that caused them to get benched. And and like you said, you know, we don't yell at kids for making mistakes because. You, you everyone makes mistakes and it's you know one of the things for me early on as a coach and what I've tried to communicate to my assistant coaches is that um you know that kid didn't want to make a mistake it's he didn't go out there and say I want to drop the ball like no no player says that he feels as bad about that as anyone and so when a bunch of adults are screaming at him hey you got to put two hands on like that doesn't help him he he knows that he made a mistake, and he he feels like the entire world is staring at him. He feels like he's the only person in the world in that moment. And so for us to, you know, make that worse as adults is is really really wrong. And so you know we don't yell at kids for a mistake if it's a, you know now we may say hey that's all right you know we're going to encourage him. And if there's something that we need to tell him like hey you know that that's okay. And then when he comes back in, say listen you know put two hands on the ball or, or do it this way. You know, we can do that without screaming at him across the field and making him feel small, and and it, that's really a big part of our coaching philosophy as well. Is and it, it goes back to the idea of this is a sanctuary. Like we we're not making anyone feel small here. We want to make we want to lift people up. And a kid makes a mistake, he makes a mistake, but we're gonna encourage him and and put people around him to to encourage him rather than try and tear him down because he's tearing himself down. Yep. And that goes back to a winning, uh, a winning philosophy and a winning attitude. Uh, you got a kid that makes a mistake, and then you yell at him about that mistake, and then yell at him about the obvious of why he made the mistake. Instead of uh, coaching and correcting course, he's going to make that mistake again because he's going to be dwelling on it. So the next ball hit to him, he's going to he's going to kick or bobble or whatever the case may be. Uh, so you're more likely to encourage errors by that kind of behaviors. Uh, and that's really not a winning attitude. You know, we we do covet winning. We we want to win. That's, I mean, what team doesn't? Uh, we're out there to win a championship, but we're more importantly out there turning young boys into young men. And uh, losing is part of that. I mean, you you can't learn if you don't fail. So that that's how we approach it. And I think it's a healthy way to approach it, and um, I, I think these these boys are going to be better off in life because of it. You guys remind me of I don't know if it's a quote. Gandhi, or... I know. So yes, Gandhi. <laughs> you know, you could go on a hunger strike. I think you could. 
Oh man. Wow. <laughs> that was not nice. Santa's watching. <laughs> Santa's I'm watching. Sorry. I'm sorry. You you compared yourself to Gandhi, all right? Let's not uh, uh, Oh, I, something about um I don't know if it was Gandhi who said this, but someone someone wise, <laughs> something along the lines of people are measured by how they react to failure because winning and celebrating those are so not that winning's easy but celebrating during the victories and yep. the happy moments in life those are so easy but mm -hmm. we tend to remember how people respond whenever it seems that the world's against them whether that be they they're having a bad day at mm -hmm. work they're they're struggling with a spouse or a family member or or they're, they're not doing that well in a class. Some, some kind of obstacle is in the way and how you handle it. That, that really is what defines you. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's what you want to instill in these, mm -hmm. these boys that yeah. you're going to have little tumbles in yeah. life and how you react. You can let that define you or you can dust yourself off and try again. Yep. And it, it's really, it's a fine line because we've all met those people in our lives that are just like overly happy and overly encouraging about every single thing. And, and very quickly that wears on you and very quickly it's like, okay, you told me I looked great yesterday and you know, I had toilet paper on the bottom of my shoes. So you know, <laughs> did you mean that? Or it kind of loses its luster. Right. And so as a, as a coach, you know, you can't just be that cheerleader every time a kid makes a mistake because like I said he knows he made a mistake so if you're out there and you're like you're great you're you're the best I'll you know you know at the at some point that kid's gonna be like you're just saying that you know and and it at the same time like I said you don't criticize the the kid um so instead you there, there's a line there of of honest um reflection and honest like assessment and then also packaged in, a, in encouragement to lift that person up but also let them know these are the th steps you need to take or these are the things you have to do to get better and again that kind of gets back to the life thing you know you you can have one of those people in your life that just always says positive things to you but if they're never honest with you and you never reflect on what actually do I need to do to take the next steps in my life or to, to make myself a better person or, or help my situation out, then you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to have a, a box of motivational quotes or, you know, a, a couple of self-help books that are just like, you know, be the best you, but okay, I can only be the best me if I look at the bad parts of me and I try and fix, you know, parts, uh, behavior or whatever it might be to kind of help me get to the next step. And, and I think too, what's important is, Yes, we're encouraging them, but we're showing them what it looks like to be an encourager. Um, you know, you can have positive rhetoric. You know, like like Nate was saying. You know, you have toilet paper on your shoe, or you know, I'm I'm reprimanding my daughter, and I've got cheese in my beard. Um, <laughs> I mean, you you can have whatever you know positive rhetoric that you want, um, but is that encouragement? And no, it's not. It's just positive rhetoric. And encouragement can be sometimes feel a little bit negative, but you're you're lifting somebody up as you're doing it. And we're teaching these kids how to be encouragers as well. So they're seeing what encouragement looks like from from us, and then we're 
promoting them to go out and encourage their teammates. And then when they become adults and they, they're out in the world, they're hopefully encouraging their teammates at work or their, their family members. And, you know, I, I kind of put that out on Twitter every once in a while. Who are you encouraged today? Go and encourage. And it's, it's about encouragement, lifting somebody up. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know the kind of, of problems they may have in their personal life. And especially in a time of social media, we're so quick and so easy to, well, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Your opinion's crap. Well, how about instead we just talk it out and we, we encourage it. You know, I, I love the passion that you have in, in your ideas. I think this is a better idea. That's encouragement while course correcting. And we're trying to teach that out to these to these guys as they become men. Um, they can encourage others as hopefully we've encouraged them. That that is perfectly said, both of you. It's like anything in life. Like I, I have an English degree and I took creative writing classes. I didn't want my professors to crap on my work, but I also didn't want them to say, "Oh, you're the next Hemingway." Huh? <laughs> you know, yeah. like what can I do better? Right. What, where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? Because no one's perfect. Think, mm -hmm. think about even completed works or completed finished games. How many armchair critics are there? Oh, I would have thrown this past mm -hmm. or I wouldn't have made the movie in this way. <laughs> Just yeah, right. everybody. And like you were saying, Caleb, everybody has different opinions. Yeah. And I, I was thinking that about the youth with social media. I, Every generation is going to have its things that people say, oh, I'm so glad this wasn't around when I was younger or kids today. But I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The concerns of the children today were probably the concerns of our parents and even our concerns when we were kids, just slightly different, but the heart of it was there. And I do worry about social media and I, I i worry about the art of civil discourse the art of yep. debate yep. Mm -hmm. it's i think people have more in common than they realize oh yeah Just i take agree the time <laughs> <laughs> we might disagree on politics we might disagree on religion we might disagree on anything else but i think i could i think people could find something at least one thing in common with everybody yeah. And that's one beautiful thing about having a team is because you put 15 individuals together and even if they're 15 individuals from the same school or from the same socioeconomic class, they're still going to have different opinions. And that's one of the, my favorite parts about a team is, is kind of culture building, if you want to call it that. And that's just the activities where we get together and there's nothing baseball related. It's just us trying to enjoy something, whether it's a barbecue or having kids over and, and cooking dinner for them or six having them over to inflatable alien in our locker room. Yeah. Having a six foot inflatable <laughs> alien in our locker room for no reason other than some kid brought it in and we put a uniform on it or, you know, playing PlayStation with the guys. It's ways of, of building relationships with, relationships with them but also them building relationships with themselves because you know high school is the same as it was when we were in high school where you know you hang out with your group and that's it um and and quite honestly i've i've had kids and on teams i've coached in the past not necessarily at the school i'm at now but where they've said you know i love the baseball team i'm also part of the basketball team but the basketball guys only hang out with basketball guys and the baseball guys they hang out with everybody and i love that because I want our players to learn that you may not have the same interests, you know, as everybody you're friends with, 
but have a have a variety of friends and learn to take in other opinions, learn to give your opinions in a respectful way, and, and learn to to just enjoy you know the commonalities and and enjoy and embrace the differences because that's what makes our culture beautiful and that that's what makes you know having that's what makes humanity beautiful is we we might see the same event, but we both see it from different perspectives and we can both help complete the picture to, to each other. And so, um, I love teaching that to, to the kids and, and it's a little, it, it, we're not as diverse, obviously, and a team from a high school as, as other aspects of culture, but in the same way, you know, we have a common goal and we have something to come together for. So, you know, you can definitely do that. We really are Gandhi. <laughs> Shit, we should write a, a, a philosophy book. I don't know. Gandhi's philosophy on coaching baseball. Once I learn how to write, I think we, we might have something. I think you know how to write. <laughs> no, listen, this is totally off topic, but uh, I, my, my master's, I had to put together a, a portfolio, and it was like a you know 70 or 80 pages of coaching philosophy and different things like that. And wow. so I gave it to the English uh, teacher at my school, and I was like, hey, can you be my proofreader, and I'll pay you. And and the marks that came back, I was so embarrassed. I was like, you know, because she gives it back to me, and I'm like, listen, I'm not a great writer. I'm sorry. Please don't think, you know, think bad of me. But um, so yeah. Anyways, we'll get an editor or somebody to to write our book. So. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask because we you mentioned about parents getting kind of volatile. Mm-hmm. How do you handle those kind of challenges while coaching? You want me to answer that? Listen, that's all you, man. That's your, <laughs> yeah, that's your department. At, at, well, as head coach, it usually is. But <laughs> for me, okay, so one of the best uh, pieces of um, advice I ever got was from actually my college coach um, in, in Florida. His name is Raul Hernandez, and he he's actually um, a high school coach and athletic director down there. And um, he told me one day, I, I called him for just for some advice, and I said, hey, you know, coach, how do I and, – and by the way, that's one thing I love about you know, coaches and athletes is once they're your coach, they're always your coach and you can always call them for advice. And I love being that for our guys and, you know, having that relationship. And that's one of the reasons to build the relationships is so that you get that wedding invite one day or, you know, you get, you get those moments. And I love that. Um, but anyways, I called him up and I said, Hey coach, you know, I've got this issue. How would you deal with it? How do you deal with a parent who, you know, either wants to be too involved or gets too emotionally invested and things like that. And he said, a lot of coaches will tell you, keep parents at arm's length. You know, you don't want parents and you know, it's your program. You don't want parents meddling around. And he said, honestly, what, what I do is I let parents in and, and I let them see what we're doing. And, and that's kind of been my philosophy too. And I think that helps because a lot of times that frustration that parents have, whether it be with umpires or the game or whatever it might be, I think a lot of that comes from kind of feeling like they're on the outside looking in and that they don't have control over it. And we see how people react when they don't feel like they have any control. And my message to parents in our every year when we have our beginning of the year meeting, you know, we we have a um, we have a parent meeting. And every year, as I, I tell them, I have the same goal for your son as you do. You want your son to go to college and get a scholarship. I would love nothing more than for your son to go to college and get a scholarship. If you want your son to have fun playing in high school. I want your son to have fun playing in high school. Whatever it is, no matter what, what it is that you want for your son on this team, I guarantee you that I have the same goal because I want what's best for your son and I know that you want what's best for your son. So, you know, I want 
you to feel like you're a part of this process. And if you ever have questions, you know, I'm here for you. I'll answer whatever questions you have. You know, and I try and give them a voice within the program. Obviously, they don't get to coach and and I think they respect that. But at the same time, it's my job to kind of make them feel like one, they're heard because they're important. And two, that we're on the same team. And I tell them that too. I say, look, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna talk bad about you in a practice. And I've been in practices where coaches have said, you know, because a kid was like, well, you know, what's your mom late again? Like and kind of uh, degrade or be rude about a parent to a student and I, you know I'll tell my coaches and and I tell the the um the parents I'm never going to talk bad about your parenting style your parenting decisions anything like that because that is that is your battle and that, you know you're the parent not me and so you're more important in this kid's life than I am um but the flip side of that is on the ride home from practice you know we're on the same team don't don't be um bashing my coaches like well you know Caleb doesn't know what he's talking about. He's teaching you that. That's not right, you know, because then what that does to that kid is it confuses them and it, it then puts that kid in a tough spot. And so, you know, I try and just bring the parents in and, and let them realize we're on the same team and we're fighting the same battles. And part of that is we have a philosophy in our, in our, um, on our team where we don't complain about, um, calls. Like we don't complain about what the umpire says. um, Never in the history. I, I've watched a lot of sports. My wife could attest to that. Um, I watched a lot of sports, and never in my life have I seen a player go up to a ref and say, "You missed that call. Change it." And the ref goes, "You know what? You are right. I made a mistake. Let me change that." It, it's never happened. Um, and so, because of that, complaining about that that doesn't help. And if anything, it takes your mind off of, again, what you can control. You can't control what that person says. You can't control that that person made a call that you think is bad. The only thing you can control is your reaction to that and then going forward. And so on our team, we're not allowed as players, you're not allowed to make an excuse and you're not allowed to, to um, let that affect you. You're not allowed to talk about the umpire making a bad call. Because ultimately, you have to be responsible for you. He's responsible for him, and we're going to let it play out. If he costs us a game, he costs us a game. We're not going to blame him for the costing us the game. We're going to blame ourselves and look at what we could have done better. But that also bleeds over to the parents. And I don't, I don't legislate that with parents. I don't go to parents and say, you know, you're not allowed to yell at the umpire. But I think they see the way that the players talk about it. They see that the players aren't allowed to complain about umpires. They see that the players kind of understand that relationship and understand that you know what this umpire is an authority figure and so i'm not going to disrespect him but beyond disrespect i'm actually you know he made a call he maybe he made a mistake but everybody makes a mistake you know i make mistakes and so i'm not going to complain about it i'm going to let it go and i'm going to get the next picture i'm going to get the next time i'm up to bat or whatever it might be and so I think parents see that. And so then I think that kind of naturally just bleeds over to parents' behavior in the stands and, and some of their behaviors when it comes to um, complaining about umpires and things like that. And everybody gets emotional, and, and I understand that. And, and you know we've had discussions with parents when we've had to be like, you know, maybe calm down a little bit. It's okay. But it's not – it's never gotten to that level. And I think part of it is because they see the culture that we're building within the team. That's awesome. And I like what you said about people don't like to not have control. It, it's scary. Yeah. It is terrifying whenever things happen. And, and it, I find that whenever people are fearful, 
it's either fight or flight. And yep. sometimes mm -hmm. that fight comes out that the screaming, the antagonizing, and we're, we're all human. We've all had those moments, those, those days, whatever it is. And I love that you tell the parents, please don't badmouth me mm -hmm. just the same way. I'm not going to badmouth you at kids. It's not only is it disrespectful, even if you were coaching adults, but kids, especially mm -hmm. they, they need people to look up to. They don't fully understand yeah. how the world is yet. Yeah, and then they're put in a position, like I said, where it's, you know, well, my dad said that he doesn't know what he's talking about, so should I listen to him or should I listen to my dad? And, you know, it, it puts kids in an impossible position, too. And, you know, I, I don't want to do that to the kids. Oh, that's awkward. Oh, gosh, it's like <laughs> if a friend calls you and wants to complain about this other friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but maybe don't hit me like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are some challenges you've seen or experienced with baseball in any capacity. Um, maybe you watched a game where something was a little awry, went a little awry, or as you've both coached that you've seen some challenges that you've had to overcome or things you would have done differently. Yeah. So one of the biggest issues that I see with baseball, and it, again, it kind of goes to, um, you know, we won't get into the bigger issues of baseball leadership and things like that. But um, sadly, I think baseball, like you said, you brought up baseball and you said, you know, it's wholesome. It's kids playing in the front yard or in the street, you know, the sandlot. And that we talked about that. But sadly, that's not what baseball is anymore. And to a lot of people and baseball is becoming very much a, a niche sport, I'm afraid, at times. And it's becoming a, a travel ball sport. And I love, I, like, I think travel ball is great and it's a great opportunity, but but basically travel ball is where you have these organizations that your parents pay a lot of money to and then you travel around and you play baseball. Well, that is great unless your parents don't have a lot of money to, to pay and you can't pay to play in that organization. And so one thing, you know, we've come up against even here in our town, um, the local league that was free for everyone to play in has kind of disbanded so that these travel organizations can happen, which is, again, is great if you can pay for that, but there's a lot of kids that are missing out that don't have that opportunity. And so for me, one of the things that, and Caleb and I have talked about, you know, maybe remedies for this and things we can do to kind of help this. And, you know, we would love to, you know, one day start our own league or do something, but we want to bring baseball to everybody. We don't want it to be exclusive. We don't want it to be exclusive to, you know, kids that have money. We don't want it to be exclusive to, to kids that have, you know, this, not that, and, and that's not to talk bad about the kids that do because it's not their, you know, it's, it's an advantage that they have, but it's not bad that their parents have money, but it also shouldn't mean that they're the only ones that get to play baseball. It, it should mean that everybody gets to play baseball and um, everybody should get to learn these lessons. And so, you know, for me, that's one of the biggest things is baseball's kind of slowly become that sport that's um, that's just for for the for the wealthy in some parts of the country, and that's sad. Um, and so, you know, building more parks, teaching more kids the game, you know, those are challenges uh, that we we try and overcome um, with that. Yeah, that's the exact same for me. Um, Going back to, you know, again, we don't want to talk too much about leadership, but uh, leadership in Major League Baseball, for example, isn't doing well growing the game domestically. They do great growing the game across the world. We're seeing more and more countries in, in the world being interested in baseball, while 
interest in the United States is starting to dwindle, especially in the inner cities. People just they they don't have that interest in baseball because it's not accessible. It's very easy to grab a basketball, go out to a a, a um, public park, and shoot hoops. Basketball is extremely accessible in that. Baseball is a little bit more difficult, and then when you add on top of it these these travel leagues that can be upwards of fourteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. I mean, yeah, most families can't afford that. So now baseball has become a very wealthy sport where these kids may end up having an advantage. Now, there are some studies that show that these kids that are playing constantly year Mm -hmm. in, year out are actually at a disadvantage because their body breaks down quicker, their arms break down quicker, their elbow breaks down quicker. uh, So they're less likely to make it to to the big leagues. But even then, you know, you've got all these kids that the only place you can play are these these types of leagues where you've got to pay to play. It's not good for the game. We're seeing this especially locally in, in baseball and football where where some um, coaches are, are pushing that kind of model. So when they get up to, to certain levels, these kids have all played together their entire lives, which is also a disadvantage when it comes to baseball. Um but that that's a challenge that you know we've not figured out yet as a as a sport we've got to figure out a way to get past that and get over that without saying no travel travel leagues i mean you can't ban travel leagues but if we can figure out a way and there's there's some organizations like lost boys in chicago that that do a really good job with with uh, promoting the game in in the inner cities um but that's just in chicago we need more organizations like that throughout the United States to really grow the game. And it's, it's, it falls on major league baseball who I don't believe is, is doing a great job at, at promoting it. Yeah. And you know, to, to your, to his point, um, basketball is extremely accessible football, the most, um, you know, popular sport. It's not a sport that kids can, I mean, kids can pick up a football and go play in the park, but like, Kids, the great part, one of the reasons why football grew, grew so much is Pop Warner and these 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 football leagues, where if a kid wants to play and his parents will sign the consent forms, a lot of times they're free or very very low cost, and there's no travel involved in a lot of these. And so kids in in the inner city or or kids in rural America or kids that don't maybe don't have the the money to to play a travel sport can play football, and it's no cost or very little cost to them. And, you know, whereas baseball, it's like, well, if you know, you need a bat and that's going to be a couple hundred dollars, you need a glove and that's going to, and you know, all these costs fall on the family, not on the organization. Whereas football, I played football growing up and my mom never bought a helmet or pads. Those were provided to me. I played baseball growing up and a bat was never provided and a glove was never provided. That, That was equipment I had to buy myself. So again, my mom worked very hard so she could provide those things, but not everybody has that ability. And so not every kid can get a glove. Not every kid can get a bat. And whereas in football, we give those, there's very little cost. Like I said, we give those items to the kids to use, and then we, we take them home. In baseball, you know, you may have a coach that can do that, but a lot of times we don't give those things to the kids. We expect them to get them and show up to practice with a glove or they're going to run a lap because they didn't bring their glove. And, you know, no kid's going to come to practice and say, well, my, you know, I don't have enough money to buy a glove. Kids are going to come in they're going to say, oh, I forgot my glove. Well, then maybe they didn't forget their glove. Maybe they don't have enough money to buy a glove. And so, you know, that causes a whole other stream of issues. So 
you know, what I would love to see is I would love to see organizations and, and Major League Baseball has tried to do things in the inner city and they tried to do things with leagues, but I don't think it's been a as extensive as it should have been. And I would love to see, you know, more funding for things like, you know, local leagues and, and leagues for players to to be able to just play, whether they become great players or not, just the ability to go out and have fun and be in the fresh air. And and part of that funding needs to be look, we're going to give you gloves, we're going to give you bats, we're going to give you things so that kids can come and play and they don't have to meet any requirements. That's the thing about baseball, and, and that's the thing about, to me, growing up, you know, when I played baseball in the neighborhood that I grew up in, there were no prerequisites. There wasn't anything required for me to be able to play that game. I could go out and play just because I was able to play. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with how much money anybody had. And that's what I love about baseball in the Dominican, like I said, with kids wearing, you know, milk, milk cartons on their hands uh, as gloves. There's no prerequisites there either. It's if you can play, you can play. And we need to lower that bar because right now there are prerequisites to be able to play the game of baseball. And I think that's heartbreaking. You can't play baseball if you don't have enough money for a glove. You can't play baseball if you don't have enough money for practice pants, for cleats, for a bat, for all these things. And that's wrong. Um, we need to have it so that there isn't a prerequisite. You can play baseball because you can play baseball. Whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, whether you have um, money, whether you don't have money, it's open for everybody because it's a beautiful game and, and life lessons can be taught. Oh, gosh. that I, I think you bring up some really good points. It's, and I don't think it's just baseball because I noticed some of my coworkers, like their kids do that travel league soccer mm-hmm. And yeah. it's even in dancing there. Are, like, yeah. I used to, when I was growing up, I, I remember, you know, my sisters went to their dance lessons once a week, but there's also those competitive dancing mm-hmm. studios you can join, which costs money. Yeah. Got to travel with those. And it's, uh, again, it's, I guess it, it could, I hadn't thought about these points that you brought up with, those aspects just how some not everybody's going to be able to play and Mm -hmm. it's i'm sure that's hard on parents to look at their kids and say well we don't have enough money for you to pursue your dream and i I know that some organizations they do like world's finest Mm -hmm. um, fundraisers and stuff but that's that's not really enough and what if it's in the same neighborhood and a lot of the socioeconomic divide is Right. Is there, you know, like what if the neighbors don't really even have enough money to. Yeah. I mean, if a kid lives in a, an impoverished area, giving him something to sell doesn't really help him because, you know, it, and one thing, you know, I'm an athletic director as well. And one thing I'm always cognizant of is if we're asking, you know, fundraisers, first of all, you know, I was a kid and I remember fundraisers when I was a kid. A lot of times that just falls on your parents, you know, it's like, Hey, (laughs) yeah, I've got to buy, I've got to sell so much of this. And the parents are like, okay, I'll just sign a check if they can. Right. And so, you know, it's, um, that's really what it comes down to a lot of times is parents have to have to foot the bill or even the neighborhood and, and maybe they don't have the ability to, to raise money. So, um, you know, it does cause issues. And I, you know, you're absolutely right. I think soccer is the other big sport in America. And it's funny because soccer is another sport where globally it's the opposite. Globally, anybody can play the game of soccer and you see kids, you know, playing on dirt patches with, barefoot. um, yeah, or, you know, they're, they're barefoot and they're just playing cause they love the game of soccer. And 
here in the states it's like we have it backwards and you know we want to put these restrictions on like you have to be on so many club teams or you know you need to play certain and you know i think what we're going to start seeing with baseball and what we've seen with soccer when we play in the world cup and things like that is we're not getting our best athletes because we're putting so many requirements on it and that's what's happening in soccer and that's why i mean us missed the world cup because we you know we don't have the best players in the world and we don't have the best players in the world because all of our athletes to play soccer have to meet certain requirements. And it's sadly becoming the same with baseball. I think, I mean, if, if you look at major league baseball, some of the best players in major league baseball are foreign born. Um, and you know, especially Latin America, you've got a lot of, uh, people coming from the Dominican and, you, and you're starting to see it sweep in, in Asia, a lot of, of Korean and, and Jap- uh, Japanese players coming in and playing and Canadian even, um, we aren't really the the source of talent anymore, and it's those two sports, specifically soccer and baseball, that it's the most noticeable. Yeah. And I think it's because of of that type of of uh, inaccessibility from the youth side. It's hard to grow up loving and playing a sport if you don't have access to it. Yeah, and just a quick example here. I mean, this the town we live in. Um, you know, it it's a it's the second biggest city in West Virginia. It's not you know massive or anything like that, but it's a it's a large metropolitan area for our um, for the state. And um, you know, growing up, you know, my brother played uh, baseball growing up, and there were all these leagues, and he could play for free. And then I grew up, and and I was able to play, and I never played travel ball because my mom couldn't afford it. So you know, that was never an option for me. So I was able to play though, because there was a league and, you know, it costs maybe $20 to sign up or whatever it was, but you know, you got your uniform and you know, you could play. And like I said, there were still things that we had to pay for, but it wasn't, you know, we weren't paying thousands of dollars for a travel team. Well, this last year, even in this town, um, they got rid of that league. And so there's no league for kids that are in this town that want to play baseball. Um, there's no league. Um, the The only option is one of the local high schools has a has created a league for their players. But if you're not in that district, and you're not going to go to that high school, you know it's it's very much just for them. And so now there's no league in this in the city of Huntington for the kids to play. And I don't know how you can grow a game, and I don't know how you can say you love a game if you're willing to just exclude people because they don't live in your district and they're not going to be on your team one day. And, you know, that's one thing that I, I hate to see. And sadly, I think it's happening, you know, in a lot more towns than just Huntington, West Virginia. That What you guys are saying reminds me of something a, a friend once shared on social media years ago about she was, I don't know if she was tired of seeing people celebrated but she see, she was always every time she saw someone accomplish something she was always wondering how many people out there in the world if they just had the money the opportunities whatever it may be how many people could achieve great things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how much talent is out there that oh it's just dying to get out but there aren't the, there are no funds. There aren't any good people around them to help them reach those levels. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that like what Caleb was saying is the great part about baseball is it, it's a level playing field, 
but it's only a level playing field if there's a playing field. <laughs> it's only a level playing field. That only works if kids get to play, you know. And the only way, like you're saying, that they can, we can build that structure so that they can be successful and they can prove, you know, um, how great they can be is if we give them the opportunity to get through the door. If we stop them at the door and say, you don't meet our requirements or you can't pay enough to play on our team and you can't be on the team, then you'll never know and you'll lose those kids. And that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to understand. Well, why can't I do these things when I'm, when you're a kid, it's Mm -hmm. yeah. As an adult, you learn about sacrifice, but as a kid, when everything is amplified and everything feels like a bigger deal. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough conversation. Definitely. (laughs) It really is. And, and honestly, even within our town, you know, um, our town is kind of known nationally, sadly, for an opioid epidemic that's that's going on in it. And so we, there are a lot of kids where, you know, as a teacher, we see it where there's a lot of kids that, that the only meal they eat is at, at school. They don't eat when they go home. They don't eat, you know, um, at home because their parents, you know, will spend money on drugs or they'll do different things. But those are the kids, if, if the parents aren't spending money on food, on the weekends for them to be able to eat, they're not going to spend the $15 or $25 or, you know, they're not going to spend the thousands of dollars to put them in travel baseball. You know, there's no way that they can play any sports if they don't have, if their parents, you know, are, are, are that bad off. And so, you know, we're fighting the drug epidemic here and sadly the kids are, are the victims a lot of times of that. And, you know, not that baseball fixes that, but it kind of gives them that sanctuary if we can to say, hey, you know, yeah, things are really bad at home and, um, you know, there's a lot going on, but but we can kind of, we can put some positive things in your life using the game of baseball. So, you know, those are some things that, and, and again, th- these are things that, you know, Caleb and I have talked about and we've talked with local leaders about ways to try and implement, you know, a new league or different things. And so, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do, do some things and get some concrete steps, but, um, you know, kind of the pandemic has kind of, you know, made that harder, but um, ultimately, you know, the game of baseball can be that release for some kids and, and especially kids that are really struggling. This all goes back to your, your point that no man is an island and it takes a village yeah. to ensure that everyone is taken care of and everyone's needs are met. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I, you brought up the, the opioid epidemic and that could be a whole other episode. I don't, <laughs> really good. I, I, I don't even, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that, I think we as humanity need to do better mm-hmm. for our fellow man. And oh man, I could get on a soapbox about, <laughs> about things. And yeah. I, I, I'll leave it as I think there needs to be more love in the world and mm-hmm. more yep. help, you know, Absolutely. less, uh, I mean, yes, be, be careful, be wary so you're not brought down or hurt or your loved ones aren't hurt, but less judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I could go on a tangent about that. <laughs> <laughs> but to kind of to kind of wrap it up, so you guys have talked about baseball and your and coaching philosophies and so many other just fantastic topics around this sport. But what are some things that people can expect from your podcast if they would turn it on today what are some episodes you'd like to talk about forgot we had a podcast <laughs> <laughs> um 
<laughs> well, honestly, you know, we've hit a lot of the things. Um, local baseball is something we've talked about. Um, you know, we've talked about, uh, we've had episodes. We do a little bit of everything. Um, we've kind of, and we've, I think we even mentioned this at one point, you know, whether it's Sandlot baseball or the major leagues, we're willing to talk about it as long as it's baseball. And because we think baseball is a metaphor for life and because we think baseball is, is kind of a, a lifestyle in a way, um, we ingrain or, or uh, we, um, we weave baseball into life topics. And so we'll, you know, um, whether it's talking about the Sandlot baseball or whether it's talking about movies, um, you know, one of the coolest episodes for me uh, that we had is we had a Father's Day episode and we did it on, uh, we talked about the movie Field of Dreams and we interviewed uh, Dwyer Brown, who is an actor that was in that movie, and we were able to interview him. Um, another one uh, was we were able to interview Jim, uh, the rookie Morris from the movie, uh, Disney movie, The Rookie, um, and he came on our podcast and uh, that was really cool. So, you know, we have these episodes where we'll talk about movies or we'll talk about, um, you know, baseball life. Or we'll talk about coaching. We'll talk about the major leagues. And, um, you know, really just if you like baseball at all, even in a little bit, or even if you just like listening to guys, you know, get on each other's case and make fun of each other and have a good time. You know, I think those are the, some of the things you can definitely expect when you uh, tune into our podcast. Yeah, it's it's a pretty broad spectrum. We, we'll go from the development side looking at you know coaches and and talking to guys about how to you know fix this behind the plate or fix this at the plate or on the mound or whatever the case may be and we'll look at history and and go back and and look at you know what minor league teams are doing or uh, we've had episodes with um, minor league players uh, our first uh, our first uh, interview was with a uh, player named Tim Dillard a guy that we both love and he's, he's got a big uh, social media presence, pretty funny guy. And um, we enjoyed talking to him, but it's, it's a little bit of everything. If you want to hear about the game of baseball, we'll have something for you. Um, whether it's marketing from a t-shirt standpoint, we had an episode with a guy from a shirt company called obvious shirts out of Chicago um, to like Nate was saying with Dwyer Brown from, from field of dreams who played a, uh, Kevin Costner's dad, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, um, gosh. That is amazing. I, you guys are listing off like, oh, we're just a small podcast, but you have all these big people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing about baseball is it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, or what you're doing now. Baseball is baseball. Yeah. So if you get somebody like Dwyer Brown, who was a, you know, a, a huge role in a, a massively popular film about the game of baseball, he's going to want to talk about baseball. Yeah. And that's just the, it, it transcends everything. You know, it doesn't matter where you come from or how much money you have or who you are now. Baseball is baseball. And most baseball fans just want to talk about baseball with other baseball yeah. fans. It kind of just goes back to that relational aspect of just talking baseball and, and having a good time. And so that's, you know, and that's honestly been one of the biggest surprises I think with having the podcast has been, people's willingness like the first couple months we had it when it was like you know caleb would text me and be like dude i got you know so and so for the podcast or i would say you know i was able to get so and so to come on our podcast it was like why are these people talking to us <laughs> i mean honestly but it's like because Bob kendrick yeah it's because why the baseball <laughs> the baseball community is so genuine and and so open and willing to to talk and just talk the game of baseball and grow the game of baseball i think that's great um so, you know, all of those things are, are things you can uh, see on our podcast. We're actually well, kind of in, here on the podcast. Here on the podcast, sorry. 
Um, we're actually kind of in a transition period because of COVID and you know different things. We haven't recorded an episode in a, in a in a little while because of one baseball has been over, but also um, just having to distance and things like that. And um, so we're actually going to go to more of a seasonal format. So we're going to have a, a a season with about thirty episodes, and then. Um, have a little bit of a, a time off um, that I think is going to make it a little bit easier to be kind of regular with it. But um, even in just the the episodes that we've put out and and trying to grow it, it, it's been pretty cool for sure. So do you guys fanboy a little bit whenever someone agrees to do a podcast episode? Oh, definitely. <laughs> There's been multiple times when, uh, you know, I've been very, very nervous going into an interview to talk to somebody because it's like, you know, I, I you know, Jim, the rookie Morris, you know, that's was one of my favorite movies growing up. And it was like, man, you were the actual guy that that's based off of. Like, <laughs> you know, Dennis Quaid played you in a movie like that's you pitched, you pitched in Major League Baseball at yeah. like 40 years old. And it yeah. was amazing. Yeah. So these guys are, you know, anytime you meet somebody like that, it's it's super cool. Um, and it is hard not to not to kind of fanboy out and yeah. just, you know, remember that you have to be professional and yeah. ask questions. And, yeah. You know, but. it was kind of like that with the Pelicans. We we did an on yeah. on location uh, episode with the Pelicans, and I just shot them a message on on Twitter, just you know, shooting my shot, and they responded, "Well, if you're in town, come on to the ballpark. We'll we'll do an interview with the entire front office, and we'll take you on a tour." I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> so me uh, and Nate ended up going on vacation at the same time, and it, it was kind of dumb luck to be honest with you and i found out that he was going down to myrtle beach the same week i was going to myrtle beach we set it up and you know it ended up being one of our favorite episodes where we talked to the entire front office of a minor league baseball team which was amazing yeah really cool access so i can't think of anything more serendipitous than that (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i see see kids just shoot your shot, take your chances. So the worst thing someone can do is say no or ignore you, but yep. they can also respond. The <laughs> worst thing they that can happen is they'll say no. Yep. That is so awesome. Well, is there is there anything else you'd like to add for listeners to know about either coaching, meetings on the mound, baseball? Oh, I have a question. I just thought yep. of it. So if you are at a baseball game, mm-hmm. what is your menu of choice? What are you going to be eating and drinking? So, um, for me, I uh, I'm probably like I like a hot dog at the ballpark. That's kind of the the classic answer. But um, dude, do do not say skyline chili. No, I don't like skyline chili. Um, when I was a what kid, skyline chili. So awful. it's Cincinnati it's chili. Um, and Cincinnati's kind of famous for it. like I think there was even a Simpsons episode here Cincinnati, recently. Cincinnati is where... famous for bad chili. Just think about yeah. that. There's a Simpsons episode here recently where they went to Cincinnati and Skyline Chili was featured. It's kind of their thing in the East. Like it's kind of known as that. It's basically chili they put on spaghetti, but um, oh, Cincinnati. And- okay. I don't like it. Um, my brother likes it. I I love the city of Cincinnati. That's kind of my adopted, you know, home away from home. But I I can't stand it. So I don't like their chili. Um, but anyways, for me, it's probably. I like a hot dog, um, but for whatever reason, when I was younger, um, I would always get pizza at the ballpark. Um, a slice of uh, La Rosa's pizza um, in the in the ball, in the Reds ballpark. So, I think for that, because it was always what I would get as a kid, um, it's just kind of stuck with me that that's what I'll get. So I always get 
like a slice of uh, of pizza, and then I usually just drink a diet coke or something like that. But um, that's usually just kind of my my menu of of choice. I think kind of going back to when I was a kid. That's that's kind of why. With yeah. the souvenir cup, um, when my wife and I got married, I think I had maybe. 15 souvenir cups and she was like you know we can get rid of these and i was like why would we get rid of them they're perfectly good cups you know just because i got it at a ballpark and it's got a player on the side of it and it makes it even better we have it? since uh we, we've since said goodbye to some of those souvenir oh. cups but i've got a i've got a couple <laughs> now uh, it's hard with with you know ballpark food there's some ballparks that have like really awesome cuisines but it's hard if you've never really been there, never really experienced it. My go-to, it's kind of boring. It's just a bratwurst or a hot dog. And then whatever soda's on tap there, you know, if it's a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or whatever the case may be, it's very boring. We're we're there to watch a ball game, I guess. So uh, <laughs> hot dog and, and soda, I guess. Keeping it yeah. easy. <laughs> well, is there anything else you'd like to share or add on? Just... um. You know, love other people, be be kind to others and try and make an impact on people's lives, whether you're a coach or not. And, um, you know, always reach out and, uh, you know, <clears throat> help your teammates. And you don't have to be on a team like you said. It's a village. And um, so whether you're on a team or not, reach out to those around you and let them know you love them and let them know you're there for them. And, and the principles, you know, we've kind of talked about, they correlate to life, too. So, you know be that for for those people yeah and if you want to listen to the two gandhis of baseball um <laughs> check out meetings on the mound yep and they can find you guys on apple podcasts yep um i believe um pretty much anywhere we're also on google play and, and different places so um you know wherever you find your podcast you can probably find a stitcher um places like that but the most spotify. common i think yeah i think spotify as well I, the most common places is, is apple um apple podcast and um, we also have a Twitter account that will tweet out links to our podcast as well as some videos and, and silliness. So um, that's uh, at meeting or sorry, at, at Mountain at Mount Pod. So. Get it right, awesome. And do you guys have any social media presence you would like to share? Yeah. Or you want to kind of keep that private? <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I mean, like I said, uh, you know, there's not a lot on there that, that'll excite people. But um, at Nate underscore Hale is my Twitter handle. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb G. Webb. You can find uh, all kinds of fun videos of me scaring my wife on Marco Polo. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you're still married is remarkable. <laughs> Your poor wife. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, Caleb and Nathan, I can't thank you enough. This was a really passionate episode. I really enjoyed learning about everything. Yeah. the games, just the philosophies. It, it ends up being about a lot more than just the sport itself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you so much. Yes. We It was a blast. Yeah, for sure. You. Thank you for oh. having us. Oh, anytime. Thank you guys so much. Well, listeners, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Boss Rush Games. This is part of the expansion pack on Fridays. And until next time, see you later. Bye, guys.